Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I want to talk about prayer today. And when I say that, you go, I know how to pray. I already know how to pray, and I don't need to. And it's such a basic of our faith. We, when we think about prayer, all of us know it's just talking to God. It's just communicating with him. And so I really hesitated when I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to speak on prayer, because I'm like, we all, we all got that down. We all, we all know how to pray. And then it was just the week after, I was out golfing. Go figure. I don't do that very often. <laughs> I was out golfing, and I golfed with a lady that I hardly ever golf with, and she was in the cart with me. We got to about the second hole, and she said, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. She knows what I do for a living. And she said, how do you pray? And I went, okay, Lord, I guess you want me to speak. And it was awesome because I had already been looking at a few scriptures, and I just started sharing with her and talking with her about what prayer really was. She was raised as a Catholic. And so she prays the little beads and all this stuff, and she had had a friend ask her to pray for her, and she didn't know how to do that. How do you pray besides what the little prayers that I've been taught? And so I explained to her, and what, so I'm going to go into it today for you guys. And it was just, I feel like it might be a basic, but yet it's so something we need, something we need to be reminded of. How do you pray? How do you pray? It's a, it's a simple question, but yet a hard question. As a kid, when I was growing up in the church, I remember one Sunday, Sunday school, we would always go downstairs just like we do now, and we'd go down and have Sunday school together, and just would be a few of us in the classroom, and this one older lady brought a telephone, which kids probably wouldn't even recognize what the phone was back then that we had, and she was explaining prayer, and she re- related it to a telephone. You pick up the telephone, and you have a direct line to God. And you can communicate to God back and forth on this telephone. And I, that stuck with me. And, but I think that nowadays we would probably have to say to this generation, it's like texting. Because <laughs> that's what we all do, right? It's like texting. You text to God. Well, Sal's theory is you only text information. Party at this time. Invite Rhonda for dinner at this time. Right? And you're just texting information. You don't text communication. Because if you communicate, it can be all mixed up and your thoughts. We don't know. I can't read your mind. So, you know, just information. And I think that we have become almost a texting generation when it comes to prayer. Short little snippets here and there. As Actually, I was thinking about how the Muslims pray. Think about this with me for a minute. Because... This is, right, they, they, their faith, it's sort of amazing that they pray five times a day. They get up and they pray at sunrise. They pray at noontime. They pray in the afternoon. They pray at sunset, and they pray between sunset and midnight. And each one of those times, they are required to stop what they're doing, stop everything, and spend five to 15 minutes in prayer. So on the average, they're praying 25 minutes a day minimum to over an hour every day. And I'm like going, that's not us usually as prayers. We're not like that. And yet they also, even on Fridays, they join together for like a service kind of thing. And they pray for 20 minutes in that service together. And yet they're lost. And they don't even know what they're doing. And yet we are behind the times when it comes to stopping everything and praying. Nothing else going on because we're used to the little text praise. 
Statistically, I was reading online. Statistically, it says that Christians, uh, 60% of Christians pray on the move. On the move. They would say that they have no set time. It's just like when I get my car to drive to work, I'm going to spend about five minutes in prayer on my way to work. Or I'm going to spend five minutes on my way home if I don't have to stop and get groceries or pick up something. But none of us is like, that's a huge percentage to me of believers who like say, I just pray on the move. I'm a text prayer. I only just text pray. And I have a handout for you today. Because who's the greatest example in the Bible for us is Jesus. I want to grow up to be just like Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And in, the, in the, this flyer that you have, you should have it already. We're supposed to go out with the offering. That's okay. Hand it out. It's a yellow piece of paper because I love yellow. On one side, it will say the prayers of Jesus. That's for your take-home homework. Look at I gave you a whole page of homework. Whoa, come on. A whole page that just talks about prayers and different kinds of prayers because you could preach, I could preach an entire month on prayer. I mean, you could just keep preaching and preaching. There's so much to cover, so I'm just covering a little bit here today. So this is the depth on the other side, okay? But we're going to look at prayers of Luke because Luke, if we were to look at the Gospels and see the life of Jesus, Luke gives us the greatest amount or example of the prayer life of Jesus. And so turn to the page that says the prayers in Luke. And we're going to just see spot by spot here how Jesus prayed the examples in Luke. In Luke chapter 3, when Jesus is being baptized, it says he was praying while being baptized. That's pretty cool. And then God speaks to him. Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes off into the wilderness and prays and fasts for 40 days. Wow. I don't, I've never done that for 40 days. Luke chapter 5, it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often, he goes to lonely places, so it tells me it's not a text pray. Often, he's going to lonely places and praying. Could it be said of us that we often pray in lonely places? I think it could be said of me that I often golf. <laughs> would, would you say you often, could it be said of you, I'm an often prayer? By myself. Luke chapter 6, Jesus goes up onto the mountainside. It says he spent the night praying to God. Just before he makes the decision of what 12 apostles, which 12 disciples to choose as his apostles. That tells me I really should pray when I'm making important decisions. Right? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is praying in private with his disciples with him. He's praying together, another example for us. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He goes up onto the mountainside, and he begins to pray, and his appearance changes. His face changes. His clothes become bright. He takes on his heavenly appearance. Whoa, he's transformed in prayer. Luke chapter 11, it says Jesus was playing in a certain place, so there must have been a certain place that Jesus liked to pray, a particular place. He must have had a prayer closet or something, right? Luke chapter 22, Jesus is showing us he's praying for Simon, so we pray for each other. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus prays for those who have crucified him on the cross. Forgive them, Lord. And then his final prayer is, unto you I commit my spirit. Luke gives us a great overview of the prayer life of Jesus and how in-depth it truly was. And that's our example. I want us to go to the one in Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to go today. 
Luke chapter 11 and talk about the part where, Je- where Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. How do we pray? How do we do that? Because they've seen the whole, they see Jesus and what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that your word would really touch our hearts today that you would open our understanding and teach us something new, Holy Spirit, by your word today. Above and beyond the words that I speak, may you speak something new here. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so he says to them, when you pray, say, Father... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This first four verses, Jesus is giving us a pattern. A pattern of prayer. Not word for word what you need to pray, but the pattern of prayer. Let's break it down just for a second. As Jesus gave this pattern, he says, Father... When you pray, say, Father, it's a relationship that we have with him. It's got to be relational. He didn't say, say, creator of the universe and make him. But he said, and he didn't say, say, Lord Almighty, which he is. He's both of those things. But Jesus wanted us to focus in on that he's your father. When you come, remember, you have this relationship with him. It's relational. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Recognize that he's holy and he's perfect. And you're honoring him and you're glorifying him. And you're bringing worship to him because he is holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It goes on in a different version. It says that we're praying the will of the Father to happen here on earth. I love when when Sal says, do we when we wonder if Jesus is going to heal or not, or if he wants to heal everybody. Well, in heaven, everybody's healed. So I think on earth, God wants everyone to be healed. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the will that we pray. Give us each day our daily bread. This is a daily thing that we do. Jesus is bringing it in. It's daily. And in John chapter 6, who is said to be our daily bread? Jesus himself. Every day I need Jesus. Every day I want to come. So that's what Jesus is reminding us here, his pattern that he's given us. Forgive us our sins. I come humbly before you, Lord. Forgive me of my sins so that I can forgive those who have sinned against me. The the word says that unless I forgive, I can't be forgiven. Whoa. I mean, I just, I totally want to offer forgiveness. Be a person of forgiveness and lead us not into temptation. Lord, keep us pure. Keep us holy. Keep us from sin. So this is the pattern Jesus gave the disciples. But he wasn't done there. A lot of people take this pattern and they just pray the pattern. And they have it memorized. I could probably ask most of you in this room and you could pray that prayer today for me. But it goes beyond that. Jesus goes on to say, this is, he says to them, watch this. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. 
Stop right there. Jesus gives him this story. He's like going to gonna make, make sense of this, this, this pattern that he's just given you. He said, it's like if you came to your friend's house. And when you come to that friend's house, you're not going to take no for an answer. You're just going to keep knocking. Now, let's put ourselves in that position. Somebody comes knocking on our door at night, midnight. Well, that tells me for one thing I'm supposed to pray whenever, right? But he comes and he's knocking at my door at midnight. Most of us would probably, shh, be quiet. Don't make a noise and they won't know. We'll pretend we didn't hear them and they'll go away. We do that in the middle of the day when people come to our door with something in their hand that we don't want to talk to them. Shh, turn the TV down, hurry. Turn it so no one knows we're here, right? And so he's hiding. And that's what I would do, shove a pillow over my head. Well, Sal would just sleep right through it, so it wouldn't matter. You can knock all you want at midnight, and he ain't getting up. He's like, for a while, he put this, he's got a, a pistol I brought him for to protect us. And I said, what? In the middle of the night, he's going to protect me? He's going to sleep right through it. Give me the combo to the safe because I'm the one that's going to protect us while you're sleeping, right? <laughs> but anyway, so you come. I got sidetracked. That wasn't even in my notes. Sorry. You're coming and knocking on the door. <laughs> so you come to your friend. And I love the way the words that Jesus used here. He says, because of your shameless audacity. Oh, man. Shameless audacity. You look up that word, okay? Persistence, especially to the point of annoyance. Some of us are better than that, of that than others. To annoy, the, to come with such persistence that I'm annoying you. I'm just going to keep on. That's probably how Sal feels when I say, you ready to go golfing again? Come on, let's go golf. I'm annoying. Come on. And that's what he's saying. The person just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it till you become annoying shameless audacity. It reminds me of the story of Jacob in the Old Testament, who was the younger brother of Esau. And he steals from Esau his birthright and his blessing. He steals both of them. It was belonged to the firstborn, but Jacob stole them all. You'd have to read the story to see how he did it all. But he stole them from his brother, now he's afraid for his life, and he runs for his life. He's gone away from his homeland, away from where the blessing of God was for his family. He's gone for 20 years. And he's like, I need, I need God. i got to go back to my homeland. I must go back. Well, he's afraid of Esau, so he sends gifts and everything ahead. And he gets all the way back close to the promised to the land where he was from. And in, in uh, Genesis chapter 32, he comes to this little stream and he puts all his family on one side and he stays on this side and this is what he does. In Genesis 32, so Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he, and he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said, well, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name is no longer Jacob, which means deceiver, or to take the place of another. 
But now it is Israel, which means soldier of or contender with God. Because you have struggled with God, so this angel, this man, was God that he was struggling with, and with humans, and you have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? But then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel and said, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet he spared my life. Jacob wrestled with God Almighty all night long. I want a blessing from you. He had shameless audacity. He knocked and knocked and knocked. I will not give up until I receive that blessing. This is my homeland. I want to go home, but I want to be blessed. I want to know that you're in this, God, and I'm not giving up until I am blessed. And I love it that God touches his hip and he no longer walks the same after an encounter with God Almighty. Have we spent so much time in prayer and wrestled with God over situations that we no longer look the same on the outside? Our walk is a little bit different. Once encountering God Almighty in a time of wrestling in prayer. Jesus gives the disciples an example in Luke chapter 18. He said he told his disciples in Luke 18 this parable to show them they should always pray and never give up. He told them the story of a widow woman who needed uh, some justice against an adversary. And she just kept coming to the judge and kept coming to the judge. And he's like, nah, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to deal with your case. Get away from me. But she just kept coming and she just kept coming. And the judge said this, because this widow keeps bothering me, bothering me, because she keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice. This is the story Jesus is saying. Come and bother me. And he says this, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, this is the scary part. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on earth? Will he find any shameless audacity? Will he find any persistence? Will he find any wrestling with God? Will he find any of that? Is that the kind of faith? That's the kind of faith God wants. When Paul in Colossians is, is writing the letter to the Colossian church, he says to them, I wrestled in prayer for you. Those are the words he uses. I contended in prayer for you. Could those two words even be used of my prayer life or your prayer life? You wrestled in prayer for me. I know you did. You contended. Could we say that of our prayer lives? Jesus tells that story of knocking on the door, and then he takes it a step further, and he says this. He's going to wrap it up here in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. He sums up that little story he told about going to the neighbor's house by saying, it's summed up like this, ask, seek, and knock. And, and the verb tense in those are just keep on doing them. 
Don't ever stop. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't stop. And each one, God gives us a promise. If you ask, right? If you ask, you will receive. That's my promise to you. If you seek, you will find. That's my promise to you. If you knock and keep on knocking, that's my promise. I'm going to open for you. I'm not going to give, I'm going to give you that Dell computer. Because you just kept on knocking. You just kept on asking. Being persistent in the way we come to the Lord. Asking. In Matthew 21, 22, it says, believe to receive what you ask for. Just believe. First John chapter 3 says it this way. We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And when I'm following God wholeheartedly and I'm seeking him, that, that's the answer. First John 5 puts it like this. This is the confidence I have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, anything, and if we know he hears us, which he does, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. What? Do you hear that promise? I'm like, I'm asking according to the will of God, which is always going to be good things and going to be blessing for me. He hears me. I have this confidence. There's that knocking. So I'm going to come. I'm going to ask. According to his will, I'm going to ask and follow his commands. But I have to ask. We had three boys. You all know that. One of them asked for a lot more than the other two. Which one do you think got more stuff? The one who asked. He asked, he received. The other two could get upset and jealous, but they never ask. I just, you know, I think sometimes we think God's going to read our minds. God Almighty, you are so amazing. Read my mind and know what I need for every circumstance in my life. He knows, but he wants you to ask. He said, put some words to it. Ask. Ask. Seek. Seek. What are we supposed to be seeking? The Father is seeking God. We're not seeking to accumulate all this stuff here on earth. He's saying, seek me and seek me only. Ooh, I love this. In Hebrews 11, it says, he rewards those who earnestly seek him with shameless audacity. When I seek him, he earnestly, he will reward me. In Psalm 27, David said this, Hear my call, voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, watch this, my heart says of you, seek your face. How, how many times have you heard that in your heart? Seek him, seek him. But you brush it off. I'm busy. I got to do, seek my face. Seek his face and then your face, Lord, I will seek, David says. When our hearts quicken us to seek him, seek him. Psalm 63, David also says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I thirst for you. I want to seek you, Lord. He tells his son Solomon as he's passing the kingdom to him, remember to seek God. Remember to seek him and he will be found by you. That's the most important thing. Seek him. And he gives us that promise that if you seek me, 
you will find me. Here's the thing about seeking. I was down last week with the grandkids, just playing with Andrew's kids. Milo is one. So this is how I play hide-and-seek with Milo. (laughs) Right? I just put myself against the wall, and he'll usually walk right by me quite a few times, and then I I have to make some noise until he hears me. And he's like, oh, there she is. Right? I have found that as a baby Christian, God doesn't, he's just like, come on, I just want to bless you. We can just turn to him, and there he is. He's so easy to find. But as we get older in the Lord, I think he wants us to desire him more. When I'm hiding from August, who is nine years old, I hide in a closet, and I put blankets all over me, and I don't even breathe. I don't wiggle the blankets so that he has to really hunt. And sometimes he'll get a little frustrated, and then I'll make some noise. Make some noise so that he can hear me. Seeking, Lord, the Lord wants you to seek him. He wants to draw it out of you. So sometimes you feel like, oh, it's too hard to find the Lord. He's, he's, it's because he wants you so desperately to want him, to seek him. Knock. I think knocking, I think Jesus put this in the story that we're going to knock because he wanted to remind us to be Pentecostal. <laughs> seriously really come on come on are you on board with this so we so knocking is getting noisy Uh, that's pretty easy some one time uh, a friend of mine gave me a little plaque that said you know you can get those plaques with the meaning of your name on them it said Rhonda noisy I'm like what (laughs) that's not very nice (laughs) but supposedly in some translation my name means noisy so I would probably agree to that but (laughs) But we got to get a little noisy. We got to get a little, right? Come on, obnoxious. The, I remember when I was a kid and we had prayer meetings at church. We had prayer meetings. This is when they came up with the saying that the Pentecostals swung from the chandeliers and rolled down the aisles. I mean, I didn't see my dad swing from the chandelier, but he pretty much bounced down the aisles. Pentecostalism is the knocking. Come on. If you didn't know it, that's what you're in right now. And that just means that the people sitting by you weren't Pentecostal enough if you didn't know you were in Pentecost. 82%, here's a sad statistic, 82% of people prefer to pray silently by themselves. 82% of people. Man, only 2% of people want to pray corporately in a group with other people. Only 2%. So when I'm asking you to pray out loud, I know you're scared to death because only 2% of you want to do it. We've got to get outside of our skin, people. Jesus said, knock. He didn't say, you know, knock. He said, have shameless audacity knocking. It reminds me of the story of Jehoshaphat. He got information that the enemy was coming to attack the Israelites. And he calls together all of Judah, and he says, come, come to the temple and pray and fast. And he, he called a fast of everybody. We're going to all pray and fast. And they all come together, and Je- Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, stands up to pray, and he prays this bold, amazing prayer, save us from our... I cannot imagine if I called a fast 
And I said, all of you come, we're going to pray. I don't think Jehoshaphat would stand up in the whole assembly and say, bow your heads for a moment of silence before the enemy kills us. Let's all be shh, shh, quiet. Right? No, he didn't do that. He prayed out loud and courageously, and he probably was saying, come on, pray with me. The enemy is going to attack us. Shameless audacity. He's knocking on the door and asking for help from God. Save us from our enemy. And he's loud and he's boisterous. Paul was a prayer knocker. You read the stories. I think we're going to rename ourselves the prayer knockers. Daniel was a prayer knocker. Daniel would open up his windows for everyone to see. Three times a day. Was it three times a day? Three times a day. I had to check with Bible college there. Three times a day, you'd open up the windows, look out, and pray. Wow. Saved him from the lion's den. Come on. Abraham, I mean, he went from like, Lord, will you save this many people to this many people to this? Will you just save Lot, please? He just kept asking. He just kept asking. Prayer knockers. (laughs) Shameless audacity. To the point of annoyance. <laughs> Jesus tells them one more thing. Remember, this is all how you pray. They, all they did was say, teach us to pray. They had no idea that Jesus was going to go off like this on them. They're like, whoa, I didn't know there was so much to it. I just saw you go up on the mountainside. He's like, okay, one more thing. Verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Instead, if he asked for an egg... Will you give him a scorpion? Or if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, man. You know what I love about this? He brings it back around to the exact way he started it. Say, our Father in heaven. Now, I'm your Father. Go to your Father. You are his children. No matter what you ask for, I'm here for you. I have good things for you. Better than your earthly father. Some of us may have not had great earthly fathers, but some of us had great earthly. doesn't matter. God says, I'm better than that. I am the most amazing father. Jesus brings it back around, and he encapsulates the whole thing of prayer back to relationship. Back to, it's all about this relationship you have with your father in heaven. That he loves you so much that no matter what you come to him, he hears you and he says, I want to answer your prayer because you're my child. Man, I just want to bless you and bless you and I want to give to you because you're my child. It's all, and I love the middle story. We didn't even see it, but in the middle story, when he talks about the friend, that's why he says friend, because he's still bringing in that relationship. Jesus is a little sneaky here. He, say, he didn't say, if your neighbor comes to you and knocking on, he says, if your friend comes to you. Oh, come on. You know, so Debbie lives just down the road from me. If she came to my house at midnight, My first illustration, I said to you, I would probably, you know, duck my head. Somebody's there. I don't want to answer the door. If I hear Debbie's voice, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm jumping, man. Oh, Debbie's at the door. She needs something. It's midnight. I don't care. I'll go, here, yeah, I got whatever you need, Debbie, because we're friends. Because we have that relationship. 
that I'm going to respond as soon as she asks. So Jesus brings it all back around to relationship that even if you think I won't respond because of our friendship, I'm going to respond because you just keep on asking, Jesus said. But really, I'm going to respond because I'm your father. It's the relationship issue that he's pointing at here with Jesus is what he's getting out, out of relationship because I love you so, so much. Worship team, come on up. So I want to challenge us today. Are we text prayers? Or are we people who wrestle with God? Are we silent prayers? Or are we people of shameless audacity? What's your prayer life like? Do you have consistent places where you go and pray? Or is it just a snippet here and there, and you wonder why your life isn't looking any different than those around us? I'm not walking any differently. I walk just like my neighbors walk, because I haven't encountered God. Jacob refused to move from that stream until he encountered God. Can I tell you, that we as a praise center family, we need to encounter God desperately. Sal mentioned it earlier. We need to see the next generation changed and transformed. I don't like that we have fewer and fewer children in praise center. We must reach the next generation. We are dying on the vine. We need a transformation. We have to cry out. We have to become prayer knockers on the door of heaven. Lord, save the next generation. Bring them in, Lord, to this house. Bring in the young people. Come on, we're getting reach all geared up. We're getting kids' praise geared up for the next year. And I want God to pour out a blessing on Praise Center by seeing the next generation raise up as mighty prayer warriors. That they know what it is to be a prayer knocker because we are. Will you stand to your feet with me? Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says, If my people, is that you? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. God is just waiting for us to come and say, Lord, heal our land. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.